Our gracious Heavenly Father, O Lord, all we have is Christ. Were it not for Him, the difficulties and the challenges that we experience here in this world this year would be overwhelming for us. There would be no hope, truly. But because of Christ, it is worth it to live here and to live well under these trials because we know that You're using them to conform us into the image of Your Son. We thank You for that. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for our Redeemer who has bought us out of slavery to sin and absorbed our punishment upon Himself. He is the great sin-bearer on behalf of those who have trusted in Him. And we thank You for Him. Thank You that He is the reason for the season this Christmas. He's the reason why we live every single day as believers. He's the reason why we... It's our joy to worship and to serve and to praise You because of Him and what You've done in and through Your Son. Father, this morning we do think about our country, think about our city, think about our state, think about our nation, think about our world with so much going on. And we pray, Father, that You would continue to advance the cause of the Gospel all over our city, all over our state, all over our nation, all over the world through Your people. I pray that this would be a time where people would truly ask the deep questions about where they're at spiritually, questions regarding the meaning and purpose of life, and that, Lord, we would use every opportunity that we have within our homes, with our extended families, with friends, neighbors, that we would truly be people on mission for the sake of the gospel and proclaim Christ to people, as we're going to learn this morning. Father, we pray for those who are sick amongst us physically and perhaps even emotionally discouraged or depressed, those who are struggling spiritually with prevailing sins and who are struggling just with a desire to be like Jesus, but we are not where we need to be and we're not perfected and we long to be like Christ. Father, I pray for your special grace upon your people this morning, that you would help us to be people who are coming alongside of one another, even as we'll see this morning, to care for one another in 2021. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with this message. Point them to Christ by your Spirit and through your Word. Father, this morning we pray for humble, soft, teachable hearts. Help us, Lord, to be people who are ready and eager to not only hear your Word and contemplate your Word for knowledge's sake, for intellectual reasons, but that it would quicken our affections and move us to action. That we would think differently about you and think differently about one another in a biblical, Christ-honoring way, and that we would think biblically about the world around us and our mission to reach this world for Jesus. We just pray that you would be honored through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And as you turn there, you know, as elders and as pastors, it's our, our privilege, as you know, every single week to uh, be thinking about you, to be praying for you. Every Tuesday morning, we uh, spend time early in the morning as elders and pastors, as a leadership at 6.30 a.m., just praying for the prayer request that you submit and praying for our church collectively. And it's our joy and our privilege to do that. But also, we meet strategically. Uh, many of you maybe don't know this. We meet once a year, very strategically, for a couple of days at least, to discuss shepherding, to discuss how things are going with people in the body, with you, uh, to discuss how our church is doing, to pray together, to seek the, the face of God together, and then to plan for the upcoming year. What maybe the Lord would have us point you to as a church, as a collective church uh, in 2021. And so we did that a few 
months ago, and after prayer and discussion as a leadership, we discussed and decided together that in addition to obviously a number of very important things that we can point you to as a church, in 2021, we really wanted to emphasize the importance of and participation in discipleship as a church in 2021. We've done this in the past, but especially especially in the light of how 2020 has gone, which has been a very unexpected, very difficult, challenging year, but we know that the Lord's in control even in the midst of that. We really wanted to emphasize the importance of and participation in discipleship for you as individuals and for us as a collective body in 2021. Now, I realize that when we think about discipleship, there's a lot of confusion that exists when we talk about terminology like that, like disciple-making, discipleship. And part of that is because there are so many definitions out there of what discipleship means. But all that discipleship really refers to and describes is really this ongoing race or journey that all Christians are on. That all of us are on as believers. We are on a journey of following Christ, but we're doing that not just personally and individually, but we're doing that collectively as a local body. Amen? We do that as a community. Christians are people who've repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now we no longer live for ourselves, following after and indulging in the pleasures of our flesh, but now we've bowed the knee to King Jesus, and we now walk together following after Christ. We live now for Christ. We follow after Christ as Christians. And we are not on this journey alone. We are on this journey, this race of the Christian life, together, together as a community. And so the question arises, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? And this morning, I really, more of a sort of as a vision uh, Sunday morning, and our vision comes from the Word of God, of course, what we want to point one another to, sort of as a vision Sunday morning, I want to develop a definition that I think is consistent with Scripture. I think it's very simple, very straightforward, and you'll see it in our text for this morning. But we're going to answer the question, what is discipleship? And I want to propose this. Discipleship is the cultivating of deliberate relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ in the context of the local church. Deliberate relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ in the context of the local church. And I want you to turn with me because I know of no better verse that really articulates this idea more pinpointedly than Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Okay, turn there with me. Colossians 1 and specifically verse 28. Where the Apostle Paul, after his usual opening where he introduces himself as the Apostle right into this church at Colossae, gives thanks to the Lord for this particular church, for these believers. God has done an amazing work of faith in their hearts and lives in awakening them from spiritual death and calling them to be people who love one another. And they are people who are spirit-empowered and love one another. So he affirms them as he typically does in his letters, in most of his letters. And then he focuses their attention 
on the greatness and the supremacy of Christ in chapter 1 after His thanksgiving. And the reason why He does this is because, once again, yet in another church, there are uh, competing ideologies, competing affections that are vying for the allegiance of believers. Here again now at a church in Colossae, these believers are, are, there are competing ideologies and affections seeking to draw in and captivate these believers. So above all, what do these believers need to hear? They need to hear about the greatness and the glory of King Jesus, which is our greatest need every single Sunday morning. Isn't it, beloved? That we would be captivated by Christ. And then, in the light of Christ's greatness, Paul really summarizes and encapsulates life and ministry for himself in verses 24 to 29. And essentially what he says is this, you want to know, Colossian believers, what life and ministry consists of for me? I am A, a servant of Christ in the church, and B, my message is the gospel centered on the person and the work of King Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory at the end of verse 27, he says. This is what my ministry and life is all about. I am about making much of Christ the Christ in you, under the new covenant ministry of the Spirit, the hope of glory. It's all about Christ. And he really expands on this. And I want us to focus specifically on verse 28. A hugely important verse for us. A verse that's not only true for Paul, but a verse that's true for each of us this morning in this ongoing process of discipleship that we want to live out all the more as a church in 2021. As we look at verse 28, I want us to consider three key aspects of discipleship, okay? Very simple, very practical message this morning. I want us to focus on three key aspects of discipleship. Again, once you come to Christ, there's this lifelong journey that you are on as a believer on this journey, this race of the Christian life with other Christians. And here are some things that we need to keep in mind if we're going to be all the more about discipleship, not only personally, but as a community in 2021, okay? So first, I want us to look together at the motivation of discipleship. The motivation of discipleship. What is your supreme motivation for living the Christian life? What is your ultimate aim for following after Jesus along with other believers. I pray that towards the end of the year, as the new year allows us to examine and to dig deep into our hearts and put our hearts, so to speak, on the table so that God does spiritual surgery, we would ask ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it that fuels my commitment to Jesus and to live out this Christianity on this this earth? What is it That is our motivation when it comes to discipleship. Look at verse 28. Paul very simply, building on what he has already said concerning the greatness and the supremacy of Christ and his own life and ministry, he says, we proclaim him, namely Christ from the context. We proclaim Christ. Here's how the Apostle Paul encapsulates summarizes the aim for every believer, not only himself as an apostle, as a follower of Christ, but for every believer. We exist to proclaim Christ. Amen? It's all about Jesus. 
Paul's passion was to tell people about Jesus, to proclaim him verbally. And by his example, as people saw the the gospel transforming his own life, his own heart and life, and his conduct and his attitudes and his words, he longed to see Jesus made much of. He longed to see the name of Christ known, of spreading the fame of Christ to a lost world. And listen to me, it wasn't only that Paul saw this as his duty, as his responsibility, it was the delight of his heart. He could do nothing else as a man saved by the grace of God and empowered by the Spirit of God. He longed and delighted in people coming to know Jesus and making Christ known. It was his delight. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says this, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Wow, that's a man consumed and and captivated by King Jesus. So much so that he wanted to proclaim the unfathomable, he says, riches of Christ. The ultimate aim, brothers and sisters, of discipleship is not even about us. It's not about the church providing for us what we want the church to provide for us. It's not about the church becoming what we want the church to become for us. It's about Jesus, isn't it? It's about Christ exalting Him. And to exalt means to lift up the name of Christ, to make much of His name, to cherish and treasure the King, our Savior. This is, by the way, the mission for us as a church. Nothing innovative about Calvary Bible Church. We've written and adopted this particular mission statement. If you look at our website, you will read something along these lines. This is the extended version. We exist to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by continuing his mission on earth of making disciples whose singular passion is to know, love, and serve him, making other disciples who will do the same. That's the extended version, all right? We wrote a more simpler one if you go to the foyer, right? But notice that we exist First and foremost, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By carrying out the great commission of making disciples. But we do this to make much of Him. And if you think about the life of our church, why do we gather corporately, even outside, even inconveniently, even wearing masks right now? Why are you guys here in cold weather and sometimes in almost rainy weather and in the last few weeks ago in 90 to 100% weather? Why do you do this? We gather because we want to worship who? Christ. We're here to worship Christ. Why do we sing praises that are gospel-centered? Because we want to lift up the name of Jesus. Why do we open up the Word of God and, and, and dispense the Scriptures and teach and preach publicly and privately and from house to house the Word of God? Because we want to listen and apply the Word of God so that Christ is honored through His Word. Why do we practice the ordinances? Why do we practice communion and baptism? If not to remember Jesus, to make much of our precious Savior and His atoning work for us, as the great sin-bearer and wrath-absorber, the one who took upon our punishment for our sins. 
We want to spread his fame. We want to make much of him. Why do we share the gospel with non-believers? But to exalt our Lord and see others come and be added to that heavenly choir, according to the book of Revelation, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, bowing the knee to King Jesus and praising him and adoring him. We want to see that happen. We long for that as believers. Amen? That's what my heart's longing is. Why do we fellowship with one another? Why do we practice to one another's? We do so ultimately to, yes, to encourage and build up one another, but ultimately to exalt Christ. Why do we employ our spiritual gifts and our talents and our abilities, but so that we would be pleasing to Him? We would edify and build up one another and exalt Jesus. Beloved, the motivation for everything that we do as believers, as followers of Christ together is to exalt the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I cannot emphasize this enough for us. Because this priority, this motivation of honoring Christ doesn't change with unfavorable circumstances. With difficult financial situations that we might be in with political upheaval or social upheaval, our priority to exalt Christ doesn't change with all of those things. And you know how counter-cultural this is? That the glory of Christ would be our aim and our motivation? This is so counter-cultural, isn't it? Our world is the stark opposite of this. The stark opposite Our world and our core problem, beloved, prior to coming to know Jesus was to exalt self. The great idol of self was our greatest priority and our greatest motivation. And what the gospel, part of what the gospel fundamentally changes in us is that now, after meeting Jesus, we no longer live to exalt and honor self. We live now to exalt and make much of and lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? That's what we need to be about, whether by life or by death. That's how Paul puts it. Those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus, our hearts resonate with Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, doesn't, don't they? There Paul in Philippians 1.20 says that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, For to me, say it with me, you know the verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Boy, our hearts resonate with that particular passage, don't they? Our hearts agree with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Boy, that summarizes what should fuel us to have as our highest goal and ambition the glory of Christ in all that we do, right? That Christ gave His life for you. That Christ loved you and was the great sin-bearer. And absorbed on the cross your punishment, the punishment you deserve, the arrow of wrath aimed in your direction. Jesus absorbed that arrow of wrath upon himself. Boy, that's fuel when we remember what he's done for us. Isn't that fuel us to then want to live for Christ? To exalt and honor Jesus? And he did this 
Second Corinthians 5.15 puts it, so that we would no longer live for ourselves, beloved, but for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. Boy, is this your heart's longing this morning? That in the past it was all about you? It was making a name for yourself, living to indulge in and give in to your sinful appetites and desires. Life was all about you proudly putting yourself first before God and others. But then what happened? You had a collision with the risen Christ. And now, no longer do you live for yourself, but you live to glorify Him. He scrubbed you down. He washed you of your sins. He daily intercedes as your high priest for your sins. And now it's all about Him. In the light of His tender pities shown toward you, you long to lift up the name of Christ. I hope that that is your desire this morning as a believer. Because that's what we've been called to. And you want to know where a sense of mission comes from? It comes from a heart in the believer that is so captivated by Christ and what he's done for us that now you long, even though you will do this imperfectly in 2021, your longing is to make much of Jesus. And when you put yourself before Christ this next year, you will be quick to confess, Lord, forgive me for idolizing, you fill in the blank, more than Christ. For putting this other thing, even though it might be a good thing, putting this, elevating it above your son. You see, an evangelistic heart flows from a heart of compassion for people and their lost condition, but even more so from a heart that longs to see your Jesus made much of. People honoring him. Evangelism is motivated by a heart that longs to see people in your home make much of Jesus, Calvary. In your home, those who do not know Christ. In your extended families who don't know Christ. In your neighborhood, you long to see people in your neighborhood, in your town, in your city make much of Jesus. In your schools, young people, even if it's online school right now, right? That you would long to see people make much of Jesus in your workplace, in your job environments, in our community, and so forth and so forth. As we look to 2021, this glory of God and the exaltation of Christ needs to be our highest motivation and commitment, Calvary. Amen? May God grant us the grace to do that. The motivation of discipleship is the exaltation of Jesus. Paul longed to proclaim Christ. And notice the second key aspect of discipleship for us to consider, the manner of discipleship. The manner of discipleship. In other words, what does this look like? When rubber meets the road, what does discipleship involve on an everyday basis for us, even as we are on this journey of following Christ together? What does it involve? Look at verse 28. We proclaim Christ how or how do we do this? Admonishing every man and teaching every man. And please notice, we do this admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. Very important prepositional phrase there. We'll look at it in a few minutes. We do this 
admonishing and teaching of every man with all wisdom. Here are three characteristics under the second main heading of what discipleship involves. Okay? Never forget first that discipleship is word-based. Discipleship is word-based. Our primary tool for ministering to others and to one another in the context of the church is the Bible. It is God's Word. The manual, if you will, the blueprint for your investment into others and vice versa is Holy Scripture. Why? Because the power is in the Word. What did Paul say in Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says this to that church, that our gospel, writing to these Thessalonian believers, did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says, we didn't merely give you words on a piece of paper. Or verbally proclaim things that mean nothing and do nothing did nothing in your hearts and lives. They came with power in the hand of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, right? And there was a profound change in the lives of those Thessalonian believers. So much so that Paul later says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that these people, these believers, turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Boy, the Word of God is powerful, isn't it? One prophet says it's like a hammer that shatters a rock. It's powerful to change people, to awaken people from spiritual death and slumber, so that they have a collision with Jesus and they come to know Jesus and treasure Him and cherish Him as Lord and Savior. But in an ongoing sanctification process for believers, it is through the Word of God that God changes us as the Holy Spirit applies the Word to our hearts and lives. And so as we interact with one another, We must never forget about the fact that we have a speaking ministry to one another of admonishing and teaching one another, and it must be word-based. Now, he highlights this by two key words here, doesn't he? One is the word in verse 28, if you notice, admonishing. Admonishing. From the Greek word nutheteo, that word admonishing, which literally means to put or place in the mind. It literally has the idea of engaging the mind in this context with truth. Depending on the context, it could be, have a nuance of positive, but in most contexts, admonishing appears in a corrective sense in our interaction with one another. It has the idea of of warning, of cautioning one another as believers when we are in sin or wandering from the path that isn't the best for us or doesn't, more importantly, glorify Christ. Cautioning and warning one another. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you turn there with me, go there with me, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay? Key text. Paul says there to these believers, we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. 
There's our word nutheteo, admonish there in verse 14. Oh, this verse is so helpful, beloved, as we come alongside of one another in 2021 and minister to one another. Verse 14, it's so helpful in our relationships with one another because this passage is telling us that at different points in time, people will be in one of three primary places and will need to determine patiently where people are at. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a golfer, okay? Um, some of you I know are great golfers and you spend a lot of time golfing. I, one, I've never considered golfing to be a sport. Ooh, that was a bad word. I'm probably going to get somebody confronting me after this. I never considered golfing to be a sport, okay? But two, I'm lousy at it, okay? Probably have been golfing, I think, twice, maybe three times. I forget. So I'm pretty lousy at golfing. But there are at least two lessons that I did learn the times that I went golfing, okay? One is that you don't swing the golf club like a baseball bat. It's a no-no. It almost cost somebody their life when I swung at that ball, okay? You just don't do it. But secondly, I learned that you use different golf clubs for different situations when you're on the green. There are, for instance, woods. That's a particular golf club, woods, for long-distance hitting. And there are irons for a variety of different kinds of shots on the green. And then one of the other ones is, is a, a, a putters or putters. Is that how you say it? Putters? Yes, experts of golf. Putters. See, told you I'm not an expert. Putters. And those are for the close-up shots, right, Jim? Did I get this right? Good. And there are some other golf clubs that you can use, right? For different situations. You know, that's a, a helpful illustration for what we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Because as we relate to one another, and as we invest into one another in the context of the church, and we spend time with one another, we realize that we're going to need to apply wisdom as we triage one another and where people are at. What situation they find themselves in. We don't treat everybody the same at all times. And this text tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 that at certain times, certain people are just going to be faint-hearted. They're going to be discouraged. They are prone, maybe in their personality and how they're wired in their makeup, to just be generally discouraged, easily discouraged kind of people. Faint-hearted. So what do they need? Confrontation? They need encouragement, says verse 14. Encourage the faint-hearted. And there are going to be certain people who will be going through personal weakness. People who generally tend to want to give up easily when there are challenges. There are weak. They need to be help, helped, says verse 14. Held up. You need to stake yourself next to that person and hold them up when they're weak. But sometimes... People are going to be unruly. They're going to be rebellious against God, disobedient to His Word. And so here's our word. Those people need what? Admonishment. Admonishment. They need correction from God's Word. They need to be warned and cautioned of the consequences of continuing on that path. Now how we do that, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, is we do that with gentleness. Gentleness. 
Restore one another, Galatians 6.1, in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Humility, gentleness, compassion, recognizing our own vulnerabilities when we come alongside of somebody else to caution them and warn them. That's the manner, the way, and the manner in which we come to admonish someone is just as important as the action itself, isn't it? Now you ask, who is to do the admonishing? Who is to do this, Pastor Kempis? Whose job is to, is to be the truth speaking in the life of someone else, of another believer or brother and sister in Christ? Surely it's the pastors, right? And elders. Sure, it is. We spearhead those efforts, of course. Surely it's the people who are the trained counselors in the church, the professionals in the church. Oh, there might be people in our church who are specifically people who have spent a lot of time training to come alongside of others to nutheteo them. But this is a job for everyone in the church. Everyone is to be engaged in helping one another this way. Again, and the way that we do that is with humility and gentleness, recognizing our own vulnerabilities and weaknesses and susceptibilities, right? But the Bible says that we are all to be lovingly and patiently admonishing one another. Listen to Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. Romans 15 and verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, believers, Christians, I myself, writes Paul, also am convinced that you yourselves, plural, speaking to the whole church, all of the brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and here it is, and able also to admonish one another. This is for all of us. We are to be those who are walking in holiness, filling our minds and our hearts with truth so that we can lovingly and with compassion invest into one another. It's everyone's job in the body of Christ. All of us, because we are a family. And in a family, in the framework of a spiritual family, we are there to help one another, to build up one another, to, be a, 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 uh, to seek to edify one another so that we become like Christ. So we have an admonishing ministry in the church. It needs to be word-based. But look at verse 28. It also says that we are to be teaching one another. From didasko, a Greek word which meant instruct, to instruct or to teach. The word has to do primarily with positive instruction. It could be involve formal instruction, but it can also involve informal, ongoing instruction as we practice the one another's. On the formal side, you know, you guys are all here this morning and there are, there's preaching and there's teaching later on in fellowship groups, whether in person or online. There is this formal aspect where you are, where you are being taught the scriptures. You have fellowship groups where you have teachers, gifted individuals who are imparting the truth to you. That's the formal teaching aspect. There are small groups, midweek small groups in the, uh, during the week for men's and men and women with gifted individuals there who impart the truth to you. It could involve that, that formal aspect of teaching and your involvement in that. But this can also involve something as simple as you having an informal, spiritual, relational, personal conversation with somebody, chatting about life, and in the context of that, asking questions like, hey, so what's the Lord teaching you, brother? 
What did the Lord, what's the Lord been in, impressing upon your heart about Himself this week? What have you been reading in the Word this week? And you're going to have many opportunities like that because as we said last week, what are we encouraging everybody to do in 2021 as we do every year? To read through the Bible together, right? And so if we're all doing that, and Calvary, you, can all, you guys can all nod your head, we will be doing that together, amen? Raise your hand if you will be reading through the Bible this year. Wow, that was like a fourth of you guys, okay? Those of you who raise your hand, look around, okay? You need to admonish some people after this, okay? All of us will be reading through the Bible together this year. and So that means that such questions like that, what's the Lord teaching you? What did you read through the, in the Word this week? Those questions shouldn't make you uncomfortable. I've spoken to people or I've asked people in the past questions like that, and it's almost like I just... Ask them a, a, a bad question. What kind of question is that? Listen, those kinds of questions should be normal when you and I are daily, consistently taking in a steady diet of God's Word. I mean, if I were to ask you right now, what did you have for breakfast? What did you have for Christmas? What did you eat? What did you drink? I bet you all of you would be able to tell me exactly what you ate and all the wonderful Christmas delicacies and how great they were, right? Because you need food. You need drink. And we enjoy those things and we delight in those things. Well, the Scripture tells us in Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, that the righteous person, in contrast to the, to the wicked person, is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. So much so that in His law, He meditates day and night. So this should be normal for us. I love Colossians 3.16. Later on here in this letter where Paul says to Christians here that they are to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within them. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. That's got the idea there of, of letting it saturate your heart and mind. Letting it make its home in your heart. Letting it settle there. Not just the word visiting your mind and heart. Not just passing through, but let it saturate. Let it make its home in your heart. Because you are so consumed and captivated by the word and to the God that the word points you to. You are running to the scriptures. They are your very lifeblood. And what will that result in? In verse 16 of Colossians 3. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, as we saturate ourselves with God's word, what will naturally pour out of us is Bible. Leading to worship and praise and gratitude and love and obedience to the truth. To be truth speakers. Not in an arrogant way. Not truth speakers in one another's lives in a, in a holier-than-thou kind of way, in a self-righteous way, not in a condescending kind of way, but in a helpful way, in a constructive way, from humility and gentleness and kindness for one another, out of love for one another. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to be speaking the truth in love to one another. Why? So that we are growing up in all aspects into Christ, who is the head we speak the truth to one another so that we grow in love like Christ who was full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, right? We want to be like Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so under, under this 
manner of discipleship. We realize that discipleship is word-based. Listen, don't ever lose sight of the centrality of the Word of God in our ongoing ministry and relationships with one another. The primary tool for discipleship is the Word of God. And as we expose ourselves to the Word and we contemplate the Word deeply and apply the Word to our lives and the Spirit of God works in our hearts, we are sanctified. We are made holy. John 17, 17, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word of God that makes us holy and the power of the spirit. But then I also want you to see a second characteristic of this under this manner of discipleship. Okay, discipleship is highly relational. Not only word based, but it's highly relational. Verse 28 says that we are to be admonishing Notice, every man, easily have, that's a generic term for really people, could have said every woman, he's not excluding women here, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Notice a couple of things there. One, we're not talking here about machines. We're not talking about admonishing and teaching robots. We're not talking about coming alongside of projects we're talking about teaching and admonishing people real lives and then secondly notice with all wisdom we are to do this what is wisdom wisdom is knowledge rightly applied right skillful godly living that pleases god What is wisdom? It's the God-given ability to skillfully apply what you know to be true about God and life and yourself in accordance with God's Word in a way that glorifies God. Taking what you know and applying it and making decisions that glorify Christ. Verse 28 is telling us then that we need to speak the truth to one another, to real people, and we are to do this with all wisdom. And what does that mean? That in our teaching and in our uh, admonishing one another, we are to do this with all wisdom. Well, I think first and foremost, it means that we need to know the Word of God. That's a given, isn't it? If we're going to come alongside of other people, doesn't it make sense that we should know the truth ourselves? That we should be people who are, who are saturated, Colossians 3.16, with the Word of Christ? Of course it means that first and foremost. But it also means that we need to get to know one another, beloved. That we need to get to know real people in real time. Discipleship is highly personal, highly relational. God, our triune God, is a relational, personal God. It's His nature, and He made creatures in His image, namely men and women, as highly relational, personal beings or creatures. It's how God has wired us. And so how are we to constructively and helpfully apply the Word to one another's struggles and problems if you and I don't take time to know other people so that we might be able to rightly triage where other people are at before we say something that it might be true, but maybe in the wrong timing to the wrong person that's not taken helpfully and constructively. I think that's what, with all wisdom, partly means here. I liken this to 
so much of people's interaction with one another. I liken that to going and seeing your doctor. Making an appointment to see your doctor. And when you get there, there are certain expectations that you have, right, with your doctor. But your doctor, let's say that at this appointment, he never or she never asks you one question. They never ask you why you're there, what's bothering you, what's hurting you. But then what do they do? They proceed to simply write you a description or a prescription and send you on your way. What kind of a lousy doctor is that? Who wants that kind of doctor? I don't want that kind of doctor. That's not a quality, helpful, constructive doctor. It's not helpful at all. And yet this is the way that oftentimes we treat one another in the church. Yes, we must know the word of God if we're going to be helpful, beloved. But listen to me. Secondly, we must take the time to genuinely, authentically get to know other people if we're going to be helpful. Learning to listen. Learning to ask the right kinds of questions that draw out the heart. Not being so quick to drawing conclusions with brethren, church family, in the context of the church. To believe the best. This relational dynamic is why life on life discipleship is best, best happens in the context of the local church. Because as you live with one another, day by day, so to speak, and walk and share lives together as a community in the context of the local church, there's an array of life situations where we really get to know one another, right? Similar as in your own biological family in your own home. And this is why connection to the local church for so many of you in 2021 is so critical. Listen to me, Christian, believer, follower of Christ. All of us who put our trust in Jesus, yes, are a part of the universal church of all those past, present, and future who put their faith in Jesus Christ, who've been bought out by the blood of the Lamb from sin and corruption and the punishment of sin, and now you belong to Jesus. Yes, you're a part of the universal church. Nothing will change that if it's genuine. But the pattern of the New Testament And the practice of the 60 plus or more one another's in the New Testament that we are called to obey and express towards one another in the power of the Spirit and by the grace of God are impossible and it's impractical unless you are committed and connected to a local church. Amen? To a local body of Christians. And so what does this require of us? That if discipleship is highly relational, we need to position ourselves for such life-on-life discipleship. How? By connecting ourselves to a local church so that we would have time to invest ourselves into others and open our lives for others to invest into us. And by the way, investment into people and spending time with people is not a waste of our time, is it? Relationships require time, sacrifice, Putting others before yourself. And that's not a waste of our time. Listen to me, beloved. Spending time with people, real people, is ministry. Ministry consists of people. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, haven't we? 
And what have we seen from the life of our Lord Jesus? That he spent time with people, reaching people, instructing people, helping people, coming alongside of people, weeping for people, comforting people, encouraging people, feeding people. Life for Jesus was about people. Even those who were antagonistic to him, he spent time, even if it was more admonishing them. Life for our Lord was about people. See, if we're going to be Christ-like, you and I need to shun the individualism and the isolated mentality of most people in this country. This individualistic and independent mindset of our culture doesn't belong in the church. Amen? We must not be so busy that people are perceived as a nuisance to us. We must remember that souls live forever, brethren. Souls live forever. Nothing in this life lives forever. Nothing. Not your job, not the stuff that you own, your possessions, your materialism, your bank accounts, your retirement, not your pets, not your TVs, not your gadgets, not your politics, social media, or anything else that you can fill in the blank. People live forever. Those things will perish 1 John 2.17 says that the world is passing away. Therefore, we should not love the world nor the things in the world. Those things are already passing away is the sense of that. People are eternal. Therefore, listen to me. In 2021, do your best by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit of God to invest yourself into real lives, beginning with those in your home, under your neighborhoods, in your community, your brethren in the context of the church, because that investment into people echoes into eternity, doesn't it? Nothing else does. That's what it means to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. Seeking God and seeking to impact on mission people for the sake of Jesus. So discipleship is word-based, personal and relational. Third, discipleship involves everyone. Discipleship involves everyone. It's all-inclusive. No one is to be excluded. Let's look at verse 28. It's right there in the text. Very simple observation. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present, say it with me, every man complete in Christ. Notice the repetition. Every, every, every. How many people are to be engaged in discipleship in the context of the church? Every man, every woman. Discipleship is comprehensive. It includes all Christians in the church. And so if you repented of your sins and you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're part of the family of God genuinely, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are to be a highly committed participant by God's grace. A highly committed participant. You are to be proactively invested into the lives of people and you are to be opening yourself up so that others might invest into you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not optional. Did you hear me? This is not optional. There's no such thing as committed Christians who are so radical that they serve and they fellowship and they worship. And Whoa, those guys are really radical people. That's just normal Christianity. Normal. And then there isn't this other brand of 
people who are the non-committed people, the status quo followers of Jesus, the complacent, comfortable people. There isn't a category like that. If that's you and you're a believer, you're in sin and you need to repent of that. Christ doesn't want half of you. Christ doesn't just want your externals devoid of heart believer. Or for any of us for that matter. Christ doesn't want half commitment. Half commitment to the Lord is no commitment at all. No status quo. Everyone is to be a highly committed participant. And yes, given the season of your life, if you're older, even given the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, as the people of God in these just unprecedented times, the question is going to be, what does that look like? But whatever it looks like, you are to be actively engaged in the life of the body, brethren. Actively engaged. This is what we long to see as your shepherds who love you in 2021, who care about you, who are looking out for your well-being, for the glory of Christ. We want to see you connected, plugged into the life of the body. And we can lead you there and preach publicly and privately and call you and encourage you and others can do the same thing. But some of you just need to repent of your complacency, repent of your passivity and come and say, Lord, I want to be about that. Grant me your grace. And by the power of your spirit, I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be committed. I want to be connected. I want to be with my other brothers and sisters in Christ on this journey of discipleship, practically fleshing that out in my life. Thirdly, remember our, our motivation is to exalt Christ. The manner or how we do this is word-based, personal, relational, and it involves everyone. But thirdly, third aspect of discipleship that I want to call us to this morning is this, the mission of discipleship. The mission of discipleship. What I want us to consider under this is, what are we aiming for as we invest into others on a very practical level here on earth? Obviously, on the, on the vertical level, the uh, upward motivation for everything that we do is the exaltation of Christ. The glory of God is our ultimate motivation. But on the earthly horizontal side here, what does this look like here on earth as it pertains to one another? What are we after? What's our mission and our investment with one another? Look at verse 28. We proclaim Him, Christ admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. And here it is. Why do we do this? What's our mission? What are we trying to see happen in people's lives? Here's the purpose clause. So that we may present every man or woman complete in Christ. And Paul adds in verse 29, for this purpose, so that people are presented complete in Christ. Also, I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul says, I labor to the point of exhaustion. I'm spent investing into the lives of people. Why? So that people may be presented complete in Christ, that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus. There's the mission for us in our, as it pertains to our investment into one another. You know, some people get this and some people don't. Some of us are involved in activity after activity, which is not sinful in and of itself. Come to event after event, which is not sinful in and of itself. 
are involved in all the programs that maybe Calvary has to offer, which are not bad programs, as long as those events and programs and conferences all are leading to disciple-making in our lives, those are really good and profitable contexts to promote and foster. But what's the goal? What's the mission? It is this, that you would become like Jesus. And this is a lifelong process. Until we see Christ, we won't be perfected. Yes, so it's a lifelong process. In Galatians 4.19, the Apostle Paul refers to the Galatian believers as, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, you are my spiritual children, and as such, I want to see you develop until you become like Jesus. Until Christ is formed in you. Paul is simply reflecting the very heart of God. Our Heavenly Father, who is very happy that you are now part of His family, but because He's your merciful Heavenly Father, He wants you to be productive, as we talked about a couple of Sundays ago. Fruitful. He wants you to no longer be naive and no longer be a spiritual infant. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, We are no longer believers to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, God doesn't want you to be naive, Christian, turning on the television and whatever Joe Schmo tells you, you just drink it like good tasting Kool-Aid. Drink up whatever our culture is giving you, young people. He doesn't want you to be naive. Ephesians 4.15, then he says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, Christ, who is the head from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Oh, I love that last part. The building up of itself in love. You want to know who the mature people in the church are? It's not those who know a lot of information. It's not all those who who wax eloquent about every teaching and, and doctrine and can give you all of the arguments and so forth and so forth. The mature are those who take the knowledge of God's Word and so reflect on it and ponder it and apply it that they grow in wisdom and in love for God and love for their brothers and sisters in Christ and for their neighbor. Wisdom and love shows maturity. And it puts things in perspective, doesn't it, of what maturity means? So discipleship, this ongoing mutual investment into the lives of one another, has a goal or a mission in mind, beloved, and it is this, that you would become like Christ, that you would learn to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, to conduct yourself like Christ, to have the attitude and the outlook of Christ and the perspective of King Jesus, that you would love like Christ. Love God and love others. To be like Christ is to be holy. To see your sin as God sees your sin. To be set apart from sin and consecrated for Christ. It means that we are learning to hate our sin and those things that displease God. That's what Christ-likeness means. That's the journey that we are on. That's what we want to see in, in one another. 
Because you know what? There's a lot of deception out there fighting for your heart and mind right now, isn't there? So much. My heart goes out to you, some of you young people. I don't know how long the Lord is going to have me on this earth, but my heart yearns for my own kids and for you young people and you kids with the way that the world is going. And I trust my King. And I know that the Spirit of God is powerful. I know we have the Word of God. And I know we have a risen, exalted Savior who is returning. But boy, things don't look good, right? There's so much deception out there to deceive your heart and your mind. There's a whole brand of so-called Christianity, for instance, right now that's saying, you know, the LGBTQ plus whatever movement, we just need to accept and support those people's choices. There are professing believers who are talking like that. That's love. Love wins. And so we just need to support it and accept them as they are. That's not love. That's not love. We can love sinful people because we were not by the, for the grace of God. We would be in the exact same place, right? 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of us. We were the immoral, we were the homosexuals, we were the deceivers, we were the slanders. Were it not for the grace of God, we would be there. So we recognize that we need to approach that with humility, but that does not mean that we need to agree with it, nor support it, beloved. It's a destructive sin. And ultimately, if we really love people, then put some substance and depth underneath that. We want to see them come to Christ so that they would be redeemed and forgiven from sins like that. Holiness means we will hate those things that God hates, like the perversion of biblical masculinity and femininity, like the destruction of of a monogamous marriage between one man and one woman according to what God designed. The elimination of Human life in the womb and outside of the womb. The partiality, the hateful partiality of people preferring certain groups because of of ethnicity or social standing or whatever. God hates those things and we must hate them too. Amen? If we are to be holy and Christ-like, all of these things and an array of other things that we can come up with are founded on destructive ideas, deceptive thinking fortresses. And what it means to be like Christ as it pertains to me, to, to these things, is that we must take every thought captive or idea captive to the obedience and the lordship of Christ. To take all of those things, ideologies and mindset and conduct and priorities, and all of those things, and take them, brothers and sisters, through the grid of Holy Scripture and what God says, not what our culture says. That's what it means to be Christ-like. So think about this. As we interact with one another in 2021, we're going to have fun together. We're going to enjoy one another's fellowship. We're going to walk life together. There are going to be Great things and difficult things that are going to take place. But in all of these things, brothers and sisters, remember that the mission, as far as it depends on your interaction with one another, is that Christ would be formed in one another. Conformity to Christ. And so in conclusion, I return to my initial question and answer. What is discipleship? What is it? Discipleship consists 
of cultivating deliberate relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ. And that happens in the context of the local church first and foremost. This lifelong following of Jesus that we're on. What will this require of us in 2021 to live this out all the more? It will mean that each of us resolve to pursue and prioritize certain things. For one thing, if you're not a Christian this morning, physically here or watching online, it starts with you acknowledging your sin before a holy and just God. Acknowledging the fact that you have not lived out your purpose of glorifying your Creator or enjoying Him. You lived a life, as I said earlier, of self-worship. It means acknowledging and confessing your sin to Him, repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in the great sin bearer. The one who took upon your punishment upon Himself on the cross. Christ. The glorious Christ. It means being reconciled to God by faith in that King, that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jesus that we just celebrated during Christmas. The reason why He is our hope is because He solved the problem of our sin on the cross, didn't He? So if you don't know Christ, become a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. But assuming that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, this will mean that you commit yourself to the church. If not this church, brother, sister, then a church that preaches the gospel, preaches the word of God, challenges you to life-on-life discipleship, has qualified leaders who are seeking to shepherd you, go find that church. Maybe Calvary is not that church for you. That's okay. But if you are here and you say, that this is the church, then commit and become a member of the church for God's glory. Not so that we could add numbers to our church. We could care less about that. At least the wrong kind of way. Become a member of the church. And then prioritize Sunday morning worship. Sunday morning worship is the main event of the week where we gather together, hear the same message, praise God together, and fellowship together. I know you love that. That's why you're here. And many of you who have been here, who are online, who are live streaming, you, you value the gathering of corporate worship. All the more, by the grace of God, may that be something that we pursue, the priority of Sunday morning worship. Then, don't leave it there. Beyond Sunday morning, even though Sunday morning corporate gathering is the most important event of the week for our local church, it's not where it all ends. Connect or plug into one of our five adult fellowship groups. To our student ministries, if you're a young college and career, or if you're a high schooler or a junior higher, connect to one of these groups. Why? For mutual care and encouragement and for shepherding and accountability from leaders who are there in those contexts, loving on you and imparting truth to you. And then, can I make a plug for a midweek men's or women's small group where you men can actually have other men come alongside of you, impart truth to you, be able to share prayer requests, things that pertain specifically to men. And there are women's small groups during the week that you ladies need to partake of where women share and encourage one another through the word and pray for one another. Ladies, you need that. Men, you need that. And then finally, pursue serving. Pursue using your spiritual gifts, your talents, your abilities for the good of others, for the glory of God. A disciple-making church, brothers and sisters, is a church of highly 
committed participants, not passive spectators. Amen? May God grant us the grace in 2021 to resolve to be about these things that honor the Lord all the more. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that upon his ascension, Jesus did not leave us confused as to our mission, the Great Commission, his mission. He left us to continue that same mission of making disciples, of sharing Christ with people so that they would bow the knee to King Jesus, be delivered from their sins, worship Christ, and then to build up people, to edify them so that we are growing to be like Jesus, so that we are growing to be worshipers from the heart of the one true King. Lord, help us to be about this mission in 2021. There are so many challenges, Lord. We recognize that. In and of ourselves, we feel our weakness. We feel our vulnerabilities. But Lord, you've given us your powerful spirit. You've given us your clear revelation, your word. You've given us your church, one another. Help us to be bold in the proclamation of Christ for evangelism and edification leading to the exaltation of our King, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lachman Foundation.